What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name's Kevin O'Connor, and joining me, as he always does, the Ringers, Jay Kyle. Man, Kyle, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty, pretty solid. I'm just kind of hanging in there, and uh, you know, just weather in this these times. I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for some warm weather. Sirit was telling me yesterday that. Uh, it's kind of funny how your perspective changes. You guys, did did your weather dip down to like into the fifties? Is what I heard. It was well, kind of like it, it didn't just dip down to the fifties, Kyle. It was okay. raining for like three weeks straight here in oh. LA, and oh, poor and you. And, I, and I don't want to complain. I grew up in it. I've been grizzled by it. I understand yeah. it. However, <laughs> I mean, when I think got, about Kevin, really I think sucks. about grizzled. When I think Kevin O'Connor, <laughs> I think battle hardened, just oh, yeah. you know, callous knuckles. No, she was she was not complaining, but just saying it's it it warmed up to fifty here, and I was like, hey, heat wave, you know, the Hawaiian shirt, walking my dog and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's all what you're conditioned to. It's all what you're conditioned it's, uh, to. It's, it's, it's like the Noah Kahan song, uh, "Northern Attitude." Forgive my northern attitude. I was raised out in the cold, uh, Is that and I was. It's, it's a Noah real song. Kahan. Noah Who's Kahan, that? very good. He he was like a he got very popular from a TikTok song. Um, and and I saw him appear at a Mount Joy show. Very good voice. That's Very your band. Voice. Yeah. And Mount Joy. Yeah, exactly. And Noah I had not heard of him at the time. Great singing voice. <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you, I feel like you're in a position to know this. Like what's the what's the most like hoop head band out there? What do you think the most hoop hoop head what's the, the biggest hoop head assemblage of musicians that, it's a good that you're question. aware of? Uh, uh I mean that I'm aware of, and this is like a small, you know, world, I guess. I mean, Mount Joy, you know, being one of them with Matt lead singer and Sam lead guitarist. I think Father John Misty, like they're they get some hardcore people in that band. Dan Bailey, um, like he's the drummer's huge, you know, Lakers fan. John Titterington, piano player, huge Blazers fan. And then Josh Tillman, who is Father John Misty, you know, is yeah. a basketball fan as well. So they, they get some basketball fans in that band, I think even aside from them. So they're a big yeah. one for sure. 
Yeah, I always wondered if uh, the front guy for Father John Misty was into basketball, but I always assumed his name was John or something. I don't know why. I never bothered to find out his <laughs> real name. Well, I mean, our buddy Dave, we know, is really into basketball. I don't know how he... War on drugs. Yep. Yeah, yeah, John, yeah. John is well in that band. And uh, I'm pretty sure Adam's a little into basketball. I know, I know the uh, the keyboard player for real estate is a big basketball fan. I've seen him wear jerseys and talk about basketball. Here and there, you know, I know if you're if you're in a band and you're really into hoops, hit us up. This is kind of our lane, Kevin. Kevin and I. Who was the uh, the musician in the, this year's NBA draft? Kyle, isn't there a hardcore musician? Was there one in in this draft? Or was it last year's year? draft? And I'm mixing it up in my head. Oh man. I'm trying to think of like... Wasn't there a drummer? Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, didn't we talk about like forming the band? We were like, who would the band be? Like yes. The, the, uh, it, it's, it, it's very often drummers. I know Emmanuel quickly plays drums. Donovan Mitchell plays drums. Wayman Tisdale, really famous bass player, as we know. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, Dave Robinson plays piano a little bit. If anybody remembers, I believe we might have hit on it in an early show, but off the top of our heads... Kyle, I can't remember who we're talking about. Can you? Me either. I can't either. Have, yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get all this draft intel and share it on the pod yeah. in the weeks to come. But for today, Kyle, we, we're going to talk about some of the latest trends happening. And then we're going to talk about my NBA draft guide, which is launching on Thursday. Just to start off, let's hit on Brandon Miller here. Kyle, he has back-to-back 30-point games against LSU over the weekend. 31 points on 16 shots, 9 rebounds, 1 assist. And then against Vanderbilt last night, 30 points on 16 shots, 10 rebounds, 1 assist. And now for Miller, early in the season, I saw him against Houston. You know, we talked about that game. He went 0 for 8 that night. He hit some big free throws down the stretch, which is impressive. But that game, he wasn't scoring at all inside the arc against the athletic players that Houston has. However, in the nine games since then, averaging 22.2 points, 8.2 rebounds, two assists, and he's seen a major, major statistical improvement inside the arc. Over his first nine games, he shot 32.8% inside the arc. In his last nine games, up to 62.7% inside the arc. That's a dramatic improvement ever since that Houston game. What's behind this evolution with Miller Kyle? I think slowly but surely we've seen him slow down a little bit, but I think it's been he's he settled a lot early too. I think whenever you can shoot, that's a that's a thing that you're always gonna end up doing. You see a lot of younger players do that. For Miller, I, I'm I was talking with you about like it's interesting to me that like last year Jabari Smith seemed to get this bump of I don't even really know I don't even really know where it came from like it just seemed like he got the he instantly was like consensus approved and I think it's probably a function of this draft just being a little bit better um which is something we can talk more about in a minute um yeah he's slowing down he's like his decision making has improved getting into the middle of the floor uh overall I wrote down here that uh he actually is in the 93rd percentile nationally uh, for offensive efficiency, 1.06. And then he's also one of four freshmen in the top 50 for Bart Torvik's box plus minus, which is usually a kind of a good predictor for like translating to the NBA. Him, Bryce Sensabaugh from Ohio State and Grady Dick from Kansas, and then Braden Smith from Purdue are the only four freshmen on that list. And Miller is at 10. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've kind of come to the belief that I think his handle is good enough that he that I'm not super worried about the inside the arc stuff. I think the strength is going to help him too. How do you feel about it? I mean, it's like we talked about at the time. 
you know, when I talked about that in an interview that I had with him and he's like, yeah, I know I'm lean. I know that I need to get stronger. I know that I need to improve inside the arc. He's like, it's not like I'm afraid of contact. It's just I'm skinny and I'm learning how to handle contact. So I think he had a lot of self-awareness at the time when I spoke to him. And it's it's kind of crazy ever since then. He's been finishing so much better. I, I think you're right. It's, you know, making better decisions, settling less. And he, you, know, you just pull up the film. He is putting his shoulder into guys more often. He is using his length. And uh, he granted, he's not moving a lot of people because he isn't super strong yet. I think he's at least putting in the effort to draw that contact and use his touch to have some tough finishes inside the arc or draw a foul or at least, you know, give himself an opportunity to move a guy instead of just, you know, you know, being all finesse and leaning away and taking these tough angled floaters and layups and whatnot. That's what I'm seeing from him is the evolution of a player, you know, realizing his weakness and doing things to work on improving it. And it's happening fast. And, you know, I said, I think it was late November, I said, Brandon Miller, number three on my board. And for a little while, that felt a little bit premature. I'm feeling, hey, yeah, number three on my board right now. He's number three. I have him third ahead of Amen Thompson, which I know we probably disagree on that there. But I feel really good about Miller. You know, you you mentioned Jabari Smith, who does go third in the draft uh, last year. Jabari Smith, probably a better defender, you know, at the college he level is. than Miller. Yeah. Um, you know, but similar player construct with the length and versatility and all that. But Miller, you know, far and away, the, the better offensive talent. It's not even that close. Yeah, I think the shooting is like the, the case for him becoming a great shooter at the next level. The, it, it's just piling really, really high. Like if you if you look at like the versatility Last year, I was looking at like A.J. Griffin was a guy that I was a big believer in his shooting. And if you looked at like the different facets of how he shoots, you know, because that's a factor. Some guys, if they're just catch and shoot guys, if they can't shoot with movement, if they can't shoot off the dribble, like Miller's shot is really flicky and really quick. Like, and I think that it could, I think he'll be able to adjust it pretty easily. I don't think he has any mechanical things that really worry me. Uh, he's 22 of 51, 40 A little bit ahead of his body. Like, I think that's the one criticism people might have. Is like, it's a little bit ahead of his body. You'll see that sometimes with, with like, guys that are in that, like, in between. It's He almost has, like, a 1.5 motion. It's, like, it's not quite two. It's not quite a fully one motion shot, but it's, like, you will see guys sometimes when they bring it up in that close to one motion. And a lot of younger players are trying to get there and do this. I've noticed you don't see it. It's just something that I feel like Steph probably has motivated a lot of younger players to try to do that. Um, but yeah, he he does kind of stick it out there a little bit. And that you see that I think maybe his elbow angle would help a little bit in that. But And, and that seems like if it ever becomes a concern, I think easily solvable for any shooting coach like you don't need chip england you don't need fred vincent to say hey let's let's raise that release a bit because he has the natural touch 80 plus percent from the free throw line great shooter i'm not with the least bit concerned about that no i'm not either and, and he has the say, versatility like you said kyle too yeah yeah the versatility that yeah it, on spot ups he's shooting 43 and these are all i mean they're decent samples they're not crazy huge um, 43.1% on spot ups off the pick and roll 43.8 uh, in transition 40.9 uh, and in handoffs he's 10 for 13 76.9 mm. which is pretty bonkers uh, that's not a ton of shots but when you consider the variety of them it's not fluky you know the only one that's odd is like off of off screens and I'd have to maybe dig in a little bit maybe shooting in a crowd we talked a little bit last week about uh, for UConn uh, Jordan Hawkins the way like defenders were kind of bothering him when they were staying attached. 
it could be a case of that. But I just think if you just bought him as a shooting prospect at his size, just to score, we talked earlier in the season. I remember specifically when we were doing just kind of like the surface level, what we like about him. We talked a lot about his passing, right? I love it. Yeah, a lot of that was like, catch the ball, make a quick decision. I think what we're kind of seeing transpire here is his live dribble game is just kind of unfolding. And I think the inside the arc part um, is part of that. Very, really promising, honestly. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. I like. I remember, you know, early in the season, one of the passes that he made was kind of in the pick and roll, dragging that second defender, waiting for the roll man to open up. And if I remember correctly, the shot was missed. The one that we were talking about early on in the season. And you're seeing him do a bit more of that. I think with him, he's asked to score right now. Like that's his number one priority is score the ball. And that's one of the things, you know, that still sticks on my mind from that conversation I had with him that he's like, I like to pass more than I like to score. So, I mean, like, and I, and I believe that to be genuine, you know, based off of the conversation, I probably should write that in as a article in the draft guide in the coming weeks. But, um, I think with Miller, he has that passing feel. He has that passing vision. And again, just to bring up the Jabari Smith, you know, comparison, like they're not, it's not a perfect comparison. It's just like, it's a good comparison because Smith went third. Miller very well might go third or at the least top six, top seven, but they're so different in terms of their style of play. And playmaking is one of the things that I think with at the NBA level could be activated for Miller, you know, whether it's out of DHOs because of his shooting threat or whether it's out of the pick and roll because he can bring it up the floor himself and initiate the offense and make the right decision. He just has more layers to his game than just a guy who's going to be a six foot nine guy coming off of screens and handoffs and launching threes. He's got more than that to him. And that's where I'm so excited about him as a prospect. I said he's third on my board, Kyle. How do you feel about that? Where would you have him on yours? Is that too high? Too low? No. I don't think it's too high. I've seen more and more conversation. I know, uh, I don't know if you you know, Raphael Barlow, I saw him on Twitter was talking about how he had him at three. I've seen some disagreement among people and just, you know, discussion, but I don't think it's crazy. I, I think that I've, I've felt the, the tide kind of moving that direction, you know, uh, right now I have him at four. I still have Amen ahead of him, but I feel like Amen's like defensive upside and stuff. I'm still just balancing those two things out. It's not that Miller's a bad defender. I mean, I think that he could be a good defender. Uh, his pluses, though, I always say that handle begets development, like in a lot of areas. It's the thing that paves pathways to a lot of things that maybe not isn't true for every player. He does things with his dribble that at 6'9 are pretty impressive. Like he can kind of, you'll see guys when they get into a pick and roll, they can kind of, shuttle laterally left or right with the live dribble and like wide in the, the passing window. He's shown that in terms of like Jabari Smith. Is it a comp? No. Is it a way to to compare? Is it a way to compare them and like say like, OK, Jabari was this. We valued him this high. This is what Jabari is in the league. I, I think it's just an interesting benchmark more than like a, a direct comparison. You know, that's a very fair way to put it. Now let's move on to another Miller. Bubba. Baba. <laughs> <laughs> Baba Miller uh, made his debut for Florida State last week after a crappy 16-game suspension handed down from the NCAA. His first game against Wake Forest last week, he played 17 minutes, scored four points, had four rebounds, one block, missed his second game against Virginia with tonsillitis. I mean, <laughs> imagine going to that game, Kyle, right? 
Well, yeah, I was just saying, like, I don't know if you've been to Tallahassee and no offense to anybody if we have any Tallahassee listeners, but can you imagine like trekking down there? I don't know. Did it come out at game time or did that come out well ahead of time? I'm I, trying I, to... I think it I think it was like the morning of, uh, if I remember correctly, but he did play his third game, you know, actually his second game against Notre Dame earlier this week, 18 minutes, four points on two of four with six rebounds. We teased him last week, Kyle, as a potential lottery guy. You know, likely first round draft pick. What what's the lowdown on Baba Miller? What should people know about him? And also, what are your first impressions from him after his first two games? He's been like blending in and taking it slow. Uh, he is slowly. He he's been. I don't. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't been like heavily on ball. A key thing to know is that like they are playing him as a wing. Um, he's six eleven wing. Yeah, he's. He's gigantic, man, and it's kind of funny. It's it's kind of the the Brandon Ingram thing, where like when Brandon Ingram would wear short shorts and tall socks, those legs just look like they're like a mile long. Like he's he's just a really really big player. <laughs> he impressed me. There weren't any like noteworthy like on ball things or like he didn't take a bunch of shots. It was just kind of in the flow of the offense, getting the feel for things. He made a couple just like simple passing reads that I thought were pretty good. He made one. Uh, downhill passing read to like a, to a cutter that was nice uh he took some shots he took a couple threes they didn't go in um my question for you just kind of at the at the baseline i know catching up to the speed of, of a game as you like ascend from level to level can be a thing you can watch guys do um i'm kind of curious about his foot speed guarding because if you're going to play as a perimeter player it's a nice thought a lot of guys that are really big they're like i want to be a wing how do you feel about him guarding in the NBA at that two, three, four spot based on just kind of the athleticism that you've seen so far? I mean, it looked terrible <laughs> this past week. I mean, I, didn't I think expect you to be so frank. He looked horrible. <laughs> I mean, like he, JJ Starling in that Notre Dame game was just smoking him. Uh, yeah. But like, I think, you know, the, the end of that, the end of he came in the game in the first half against Notre Dame, I think like 13, 14 minutes left. By the end of his rotation, I don't know how much of it's fatigue. Lack of foot speed against a quick player like Starling, who could you know could become a first round draft pick, if not you know early second, mid second, um, as a guard. So he, but the thing is, is with with Miller, you watch some of his overseas film. He looked better guarding on the perimeter than he has so far for Florida State. So I don't want to overreact to it, but it's mm-hmm. certainly noteworthy when he has those matchups against quicker guards in the perimeter because like he had he had a stretch at the end of that first half against Notre Dame where. Like he got blown by JJ Starling, just flat footed, didn't even stop him at the perimeter. And then, then he had a, a poor closeout on a three. And then on offense, he was loose with the ball and turned it over. And then he offered no help on a rim protection opportunity on a Starling drive, all back to back to back to back possessions. And it's like, this is a mixture of slow foot speed, a mixture of carelessness with the ball, and then lack of either energy, effort, awareness. Whatever it is on the help on the Starling Drive, like to me, is this fatigue? Is this energy after this suspension just getting back? Um, but it happened in the second half as well, where he just didn't help on a cutter going to the basket, didn't even contest the layup. And that's the stuff where it's like, eh, I mean, he's, maybe this guy is a lot more theoretical than we even realized prior to his appearance at Florida State because, you know, the shot. Is iffy. He has stiff mechanics. It's not like he has a skill right now that you can necessarily say, hey, that's going to be what he's going to lean on. He's kind of like this year's Usman Jang, 
who mm. OKC drafted. And I like Jang. I had him ranked, I think, 11, 12, worthy of a gamble. And Miller very well might be, too. But I haven't loved the first, you know, what, 32, 33 minutes of his college career. Yeah, you have to be careful, I guess. Um, I don't guess. I know. I mean, you, like you need to because there's just not a lot to read into, like we said, and he's not playing in a primary role there. But there's also the things that you can kind of think about, which is like natural, like instinctive gap closing kind of plays. Like, is he athletic enough really to just naturally, even if he messes up within a scheme, correct even his own mistakes? I haven't seen a ton of that. Uh, I, I just like the twitchiness. I'm not quite sure about. Things like effort, things like messing up in a scheme, you can correct those types of things, right? Like, How, you, how you, much of this, though, Kyle, what you're saying, how much of it is he's just getting back? Because this feels the opposite. Like In my draft guide notes for him, I have offensive performance doesn't affect his defensive effort, if anything. Like there's been, uh, if anything, he's fueled by his errors and tries to make up for them. He's had instances where he's turned the ball over, then hustled back on defense for blocks and transition, or he's made a rotation to help in the paint. That's the opposite of what I just said that I saw in his first two stints with Florida State. Like yeah. you watch his overseas stuff, it's high effort, fighting through screens, showing quick fluidity on the perimeter. Like I, I just, I almost want to put zero stock in the first two games here. Despite, you know, like if you're looking at it in a vacuum, it's not good, but I'm not putting much into it. Yeah, well, uh, there's, uh, I know I'm, I'm going to get roasted because this is something I, this is a term I use. Sorry, internet. Uh, I call it info lag, where it's just where a guy's brain is slowing them. Like they're just thinking so much that it's creating the illusion that either they're sluggish or they're not athletic. I was, the example I always bring is like DeAndre Ayton, whenever, Whenever he was in college, you would watch him and just be like, man, he just seems like he doesn't. But then you kind of realize it was like, oh, he's just he's kind of guys, their brains have to ke- like catch up to their body sometimes. And, and that can be the case with bigs, too. It can be it, it can really afflict bigs. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about like his size, what he aspires to be. If you compared him to I'll pick two guys, uh, if you if you compared him to like Jaden McDaniels or like a Zaire Williams type. Where does he fit in among those guys? Do you think, like, in terms of, like, physical tools? I'm putting you on the spot with this, I know. I don't know. I mean, uh, Kuzma's the name in my mind, like, in terms Kuzma. of co- yeah. constructs, something like that. You know, offensive guy who's not a knockdown shooter, but he can heat up for you and versatile defensively when he's really locked in. Well, that's sort of the, the, the guy I have in mind, more so than the two you mentioned. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying that. I, I guess those two guys both are a little more, a little more springy to me, a little, a little quicker. I know Zaire didn't oh, yeah. really show that in college, but I just think if you're going to guard on the perimeter, if that's going to be, because really, who you are is who you guard. Like if you want to be that, if you want to be that type of player, um, and you can't defend your position, like you'd better be an incredible shooter. I guess we just we need more data. I don't know. Maybe we're over talking it. We just we need more. We'll have to circle back. It's early, but but I think it's worthy of you know you know laying down a foundation of what to expect at this moment because early on, not good, but prior to this at the international level, a lot different than what we've seen through two games. Uh, Kentucky, Kyle, they've been a lot better ever since you trashed them on the NBA draft show here. <laughs> Case Case and Wallace against Georgia this week at 17 points on five of nine from two, two of four from three, one of two from the free throw line. Still can't hit free throws. Uh, but this was one of his better creation performances, scoring the ball, making plays for teammates. What's going on with Case and Wallace right now? Well, this feels like one of the better games of his entire season. 
Yeah, uh, you were asking me if it was like his best game of the season. I still think that first game against Michigan State was the most impressive when he was just like hyper disruptive, flying around, you know, 14 points. That was the six steals, right? That one Eight steals. Eight, eight steals. steals. Okay, Five yeah. assists. <laughs> he was just a maniac. I mean, that he was, was just nuts. everywhere. And that's kind of what he is. I mean, like, I think he plays a little bigger than he, than his height. He's six foot four. I think he'll be able to guard up to threes. I mean, I don't know. The four is probably not, but I, I, he's that type of body type. I think because of his hair, maybe in his in his play style, people sometimes like really love to say the Drew thing. It's kind of an aesthetic thing that I've noticed. Uh, but the key thing here is you were talking about playmaking. I still think that he's a little bit. Something people should know, though, is that he is having like uh, trouble with back spasms, and I think that is affecting his energy level. I don't think that we've seen him be nearly as disruptive throughout the year, so that's something to keep in mind. I, you don't see him. I, I was telling you his free throw rate has been pretty like when he's when he's holding the ball, and that's been a big shift. Is that like they're not playing severe Wheeler as much? which is something I've been calling on since, I don't know, 2020 uh, <laughs> or 2021. Um, they finally put the ball in Kaysen's hands, and he's more steering the offense. He's making simple passes, shooting dribble pull-ups when they're available. But I, I think that we're just kind of scratching the surface in terms of, like, his his playmaking. Um, yeah, he, like, but the free throw rate thing, and talking about, like, the downhill pressure, I want to see more of that uh, through six conference games. He only has one free throw. He's really not attacking the basket as much as I thought. That's kind of been a shift from what I expected from him going into the year that we d- we just haven't really seen yet. The one thing I'll say about his game against Georgia is Terry Roberts was stuck in quicksand. The guy primarily defending him on a lot of those perimeter drives by Case and Wallace. Wallace will not face a worse defender at the NBA level. Like Roberts could not stop anybody. And like all due respect, don't want to throw strays, but, the, but if you're assessing the matchup. They were attacking a smaller guard there, and Wallace totally exposed them. So it's nice to see him successfully do that. But like, I, like I was amazed watching some of those clips. How little there was no help around the rim on those drives, and Roberts could not move his feet on the perimeter either. Oh yeah, Georgia was really quick, but they were they were physically dominating them. Oh, like, yeah. In the second in the second half, and to his credit, you know Roberts can create his own shot. He's a guy who transferred to Georgia. Mike White quickly put together a team at Georgia of transfers. But when Wallace picked up a couple ticky-tack fouls and came back in in the second half, um, he got him a couple times. He got him with like a hezzy fake and he got him with a really wide step back. But other than that, Wallace just like cut it, cut the head off of the snake. He was yeah. he was just like, no more of this. And uh, he, he was pretty good. But you're right. I, I wouldn't read too much into the Terry Roberts uh, matchup. There were a couple times he just fell asleep. Like it he, was he weird. Would, like, I was like, so what strange. is Roberts doing? <laughs> it was weird. It, like, it's like, do you realize you're defending <laughs> a player right now with the ball in his hands? He's like, why it do they have really him on case? And, yeah, yeah, it was weird. I don't, I don't know. I, was, I don't know. I, I, I was confused. I was very confused. I want to see more rim pressure from Kaysen. Like, I, I think I, that's the one thing that I really want to see because we haven't really seen the playmaking. Like, and I, I wonder how much the back stuff is bothering him. Um, cause he, against Tennessee, he looked like a, like a stiff out there. Like he, he just looked really uncomfortable and, and, uh, he looked like he was in discomfort, not just uncomfortable. Where do you have Case and Wallace ranked, Kyle? I have a hard time placing him on my board. This is the thing that always happens. I don't know if you've had this phenomenon, like with our NBA rank or 100 rankings, you just start shifting. You'll want to put a guy higher and you'll shift everything. And then just like guys will just sort of. It's not like you're dragging them higher. They just kind of slowly drift up. Uh, I still have Kaysen as a top 10 pick. I'm probably going to have him in the like six through nine range. 
mainly because of the things we talked about. Like, if he's going to guard the ball really successfully and be a dribble pull-up shooter and have some playmaking upside, I could see him, I don't know, I, I feel like the Cam Whitmore-Nick Smith conversation, I know you had, we'll talk about this in a little bit, I know you had Smith a little lower. Um, I just feel like Wallace is somewhere in there and th- that ranking those three guys is tricky. Um, I could have him in the, I could have him as high as six. I could see that happening. Why does he stink from the free throw line? Why is he sub 60% from the line? It's a good question. Um, we'd have to go back. I don't have it in front of me. On Cerebro, does it say what he's shot from the free throw line? Cerebro has a sample size of about 20 games with him from the free throw line, and he's typically been closer to 80%. Is this just small sample? Is this back injury right now? I don't know, man. He's shooting far better from three than he did in high school, but far worse from the free throw line. I just wonder what level is he really as a shooter, is my question. He's better than 57.7. Yeah, I was but, yeah, but looking maybe at- not as good as 40 plus percent from three, something like that. Maybe more like 37, 38% from three, 75 plus percent from the free throw line, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, the, the EYBL sample was pretty big, and he was at 84, and he's, yeah, he's hovering in the 80s. A lot of his, uh, something else to consider about his threes has been, he's been pretty diligent and careful about his attempts. He doesn't force, he's not somebody that, he's not like a Brandon Miller, he's not some, or a Keontae, or a Keynote George. Uh, he's not one of those guys who like is hunting it and he's going to uh, take tough. man. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people who have listened, uh, he it was accidentally Kino George and he's forever Kino George to me from now on. Um, no, he doesn't really hunt his shot like that. So a lot of the ones that he shoots are he's kind of either catching, ch- catching and shooting or walking into it when somebody goes under. So they're not really heavily challenged or like tough directional threes. If he stays that kind of shooter, I mean, I could see it staying the same. I think it... I don't, I don't know that he'll ever be a primary. I think that he's probably similar to, well, I don't know if I want to say that. I, he's he's probably going to be your like tertiary creator, I would say. Like he's going to sure. be a guy who's like a defensive catch-and-shoot guy. I don't know. Do you see him ascending to primary status? I mean, I have. that's why I have a hard time ranking, ranking him ahead of a guy like Keontae George, who I think can become your primary. Or like, like a super, super versatile defender who can create a little bit on offense like a Jarris Walker out of Houston or you know even a guy like Taylor Hendricks who I have pretty high right now I have him 10th on my board at the moment uh and like Hendricks super versatile defender somebody who can offer rim protection at six foot nine and you know point of attack defense up top and spot up shooting I just I think for me, like a lot of the guys that I've bumped down, you mentioned I have Nick Smith a little bit lower. I have Cason Wallace a little bit lower. Those guys more in that late lotto, you know, 15, 16 range or so. Like the, all the guys ahead of them pretty much are 6'7", six, 6'9", six, 6'8". There's a lot of, you know, 6'10". There's a lot of size and versatility that I'm giving a slight edge for now. And maybe that changes by June. Um, but right now, I, I think I'm favoring, you know, a Maxwell Lewis over a, Casey Wallace. Ooh, I can't get there. I, I just think like the, the, the defensive versatility is going to be good. And I don't even know that like Kaysen's that much worse of a, of a shooter um, th- than Maxwell. I mean, Maxwell's better, but I, I just think I've seen enough to be really encouraged on that front from case. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I am right now with case. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I'm excited for the draft guide to launch this year, Kyle. It's got coming up in January. I think my last year before being hired by the ringer, I'm pretty sure I released my draft guide in January or February in 2016. Uh, so this is the first year with the ringer. It's in the seventh season now doing this that I've, you know, released in January. So like the site has so many guides and rankings. We got our NBA rank now, you know, we'll have the NFL draft guide. We got, you know, Stevens, you know, QB rankings. We get so much on the site. And so the draft guide launching in the Wemby year is pretty exciting coming out in June. What, what's, what stood out to you about it? Like, what are your thoughts on it overall with what you've seen? With it not being launched yet on the site, it'll be out Thursday publicly. Oh, you're, uh, what's jumped out to me about your rankings? Um, I, I was going to, well, before I comment on that, I was going to make it clear to, to it, this is me defending my, my coworker here, that, that, that this is Kevin's first volley at it, and it's going to be a living <laughs> document, and it's going to shift. 
And this, like we said, what, what we said in the first episode of this show, it's all about the process, witnessing the process, and Kevin is working through his process. That's me defending him to the start. So if you disagree with something, it may not end up that way. Maybe Kevin oh, changes sure. his mind. Back the fuck off, buddy. Uh, so <laughs> as I think, you know, you, you need to be able to do, I think my my biggest mistakes in the, in draft history have been the unwillingness late to change your mind. Like, Keeping faults over Tatum, despite the intel I was hearing about faults. I had Tatum two in my heart. He was one. I should have changed it. Or keeping Killian Hayes one ahead of LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. I knew late I probably should have moved him to third. Maybe that still would be too high. Not lately this season. Killian's been really good the past okay. two months or so. <laughs> but but maybe like that still could have been too high. It was too high because it would have been ahead of Tyrese Halliburton still. But I think, you know, my mistakes have been Late in the process, when you're getting really strong intel from sources you trust, sometimes you just got to be willing to move late. I remember hearing a story about after the Sixers traded up uh, for faults, Colangelo had people in his front office saying, hey, after he bombed his workout, they're like, hey, maybe we should at least take a look at another look at Tatum or Jackson or Lamella or, or Lonzo yeah. and just, just, just the one more look. And Colangelo was unwilling to move off of faults. And he's like, that's our guy. That's who we traded up for. We're sticking with him. And maybe they would have looked at others and decided still to go with Markel Fultz anyway. But I think that story is indicative of like the, the mindset of even up to the day of the draft, you should be reviewing all intel possible to make your choice. Because all that matters is when you're actually on the clock. And at that point, if you hear something or know something or find something out or change your mind, you should be willing to. Yeah, you always got to be open to intel and be willing to change. And I, I was telling somebody the other day, it was like, if I'm ever like a leader of anything, which, you know, probably won't happen knowing me, but uh, if I ever am, uh, I hope that I'm open to to intel and the newest things and just being willing to change, like you were saying, or, or like Brandon Miller, who was super self-aware, saying like, you know, I know that this is what's going on. I need to work on it. Um, but I think the the flip side of that, too, is that sometimes... You got to dig in. Sometimes like you, you hear you'll hear things coming at you, you'll have people dissenting, disagreeing and things like that and and you stay you stay put. So it's sort of a balance on that on that front. Talking about like just preliminary things that jumped all out to me. Uh I was really just my first one I was going to throw to you. Uh, you have Jarris Walker all the way at 5. Um I I was surprised by that. Explain explain what what has like drifted you uh, how your thinking has kind of moved in that direction. I think it's similar to what we just hit a little bit earlier, you know, with the size aspect, 6'8", 240 pounds, 7'2", wingspan, versatile on defense, hustles, plays hard, smart, good rebounder, offensively, like some of the creation that he's shown with the ball in his hands is so unique for a guy of, of his size. And he's also somebody who doesn't need the ball in his hands to be productive. He can screen, he can roll, he can cut. He can hit spot up threes for you. Uh, he's a good finisher inside. He can play make. I think a team in the NBA could get creative with him. Uh, like think about the NBA, all the spacing he'd have around him, DHO opportunities, short roll playmaking, whether it's on ball, off ball. I just see him as a versatile Swiss Army knife on offense and on defense. So with Walker, like right now, I feel good with him at five, whereas with a lot of the others that I have behind him, Cam Whitmore, you know, you could argue with him ahead of Walker. Right now, the lack of shot, you know, uh, confidence there knocks him behind him. Same thing with Osar Thompson. Keontae George, I have him right behind Walker. 
it's probably a little high compared to a lot of people with Keontae George. I just think that dude's like an awesome creator. Um, but I'm giving the size advantage to Walker there for this particular moment. I just think the NBA, like with Taylor Hendricks, you know, Gigi Jackson, like if you have size and versatility and a little bit of creation, like the, you're going to get favored when it comes to the hierarchy of touches and in, in, on the offensive end. And you're going to be super important to a defense as well uh, for your team. So I think those those type of guys I have all in my top 10 um, for the time being, because uh, I think that's what the NBA needs. I think that's what the NBA wants right now and what every team could use on their team. Yeah, I, th- I think the one thing, too, that I would tack on there, you said you had you said you have Keontae ahead or after Jairus. Right so. after Jairus. Yeah, I have the same, except I have uh, I have Jairus at 10, actually. So I have him a little bit lower, but I, I like the I like the argument you're making. I think another thing to consider, too, and this is reason Tari, I think, is going to end up being such a valuable player is that like if you can stay on the floor with all of those, like be such a, an accessory to good offense like Jairus projects that he'll be. And I think he's benefiting from being on a really good college team. And this is something that I want to I want to talk to you about more. But the fact that I think he's going to be able to guard like wing forwards who can who can like score off the dribble, uh, that's like a that's a prototype of player that I really really value. You talked about like creation and ball skills and things. I think those are good. And then if you're six eight and above, even better. Like you get a priority bump on that, especially if you can shoot um, and then you can play make. Um, we saw. I mean, we've seen Jalen Williams kind of show that like his size and his shooting and his playmaking has made him like a really 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 valuable asset in the NBA. Um, I think that that is hugely, uh, hugely valuable. One thing that I wanted to to kind of segue to ask you about, I, I was telling you, I feel like this is a natural segue to this. Um, this guy, not that guy, or this guy over this guy. Why, why'd you, why'd you choose that? I think this is an interesting discussion. These two guys specifically, based on context, based on their roles. Um, what do you, what would you say about like what would be your justification on? Jarris ahead of Gigi Jackson from South Carolina. Just a level of confidence right now. Gigi being so raw, so inefficient at this time. He's such a theoretical guy. He's shooting 39% from the floor, 31% from three, 63% from the free throw line. He's, you know, got a negative assist turnover ratio. And granted, the circumstances there for him in South Carolina, you're right. It's the opposite of the great environment that Jairus Walker has in Houston. But it's really just a level of confidence right now with what I can see, you know, with G.J. Jackson versus what we've seen with Jairus Walker going back to IMG. Like, he's been this guy, regardless of the teammates around him, regardless of the circumstances. With G.J. Jackson, I'd love to see something, you know, more efficient before I'm willing to draft him that high. And even with G.J., like, I currently have him penciled in at nine. Like that might end up being way too high over, you know, like an Anthony Black hmm. over a Jet Howard. I mean, I could see Gigi Jackson falling down to the late teens for me pretty easily. Jet Howard's somebody that I want to put a pin in because uh, I've had some wild thoughts about Jet Howard. Um, what, what are your wild thoughts, Kyle? Tell I me. have him at nine. I, I think very Jet, fair. Jet, I think Jet Howard could move even higher. Uh, if you think about like top what five, we were, potentially. I mean, he. He just shows some really impressive stuff, man. And and you start to talk about size. He's six foot eight. He can shoot off the dribble. We've mm-hmm. seen some really nice, like like spatial sense. We always, you know, court mapping is a, is a phrase. Like his awareness of where players are on the court, and I think part of that is his feel is just great. Like I, I think he's 
You know, if you're, if you're going to be able to be like a guy who can create his own offense late clock and you can be a catch and shoot guy and you can do some playmaking and you're that big, that's really impressive. On the GG thing, I was going to just say it's interesting and I'm not saying you're like wrong. I'm just like throwing this out there for people to think about because um, this happens every year, like context being different. Um, Gigi's a year and three months younger um, and the roles are so different. I'm just I'm genuinely curious what he would look like if his usage was different because if you think about Jarris, 14.5 percent of his offense is cutting uh he's on the ball and pick and roll 1.6 percent whereas gg is almost 10 percent um in isolation gg is getting almost 14 percent whereas Jarris is at four seven point five post 14 percent 4.8 percent for Jarris. i'm just thinking like all the like on ball stuff is like at minimum doubled for gg and we know like you the stuff you said is right I just want, I'm curious how it would impact the efficiency. Like if we saw them, if Gigi was on this incredible Houston team, how we would think about him differently. I just, I think it's an interesting question to yeah, ask. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how, especially that system with those good surrounding circumstances there, like Marcus Sasser, you know, he could be a potential first round draft pick. Arsenault, a good freshman. If he wanted to declare, we'll see how high he could go. But Houston's got such a good team where Gigi would be put in the positions to do the things that he's most efficient at. It would definitely change the way we're looking at him. But still, I mean, like they're they're almost not comparable in terms of their style of play. Gigi is more of that, you know, perimeter creator type, you know, crossing over, you know, generating shots off the dribble. Whereas Walker, definitely that's the secondary thing for him. He's primarily, you know, an off-ball guy. I just think he he can do some of that stuff for you. Like, like with Jarris Walker, is there a role that you envision for him or a team? system that you think would be best fit for Walker in the NBA that would keep him in the, these, you know, comfortable circumstances that, you know, we've been analyzing him and with IMG and now with uh, Houston? I think his role right now kind of translates. And this is the thing that happens sometimes with guys that choose to play on good college teams is that like they'll, unless you're playing at just like you're behind someone and you like, like Devin Booker did when he was in Kentucky, that kind of thing. Um, I think his role at Houston will probably translate pretty directly to how he is in the NBA. Do you think? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he could fit on any team. I mean, like obviously, there's better fits. Teams that need a bigger guy, like Orlando, it might be overkill. <laughs> I don't think. I don't, <laughs> throw, I don't think Orlando needs to go that direction. <laughs> throw, throw him in there. That might be a bit much there. But like a San Antonio, more of a clean slate. I'd love to see what Popovich or whoever's coaching the Spurs could do with him there. Uh, or like pairing him with the guards in Washington with Brad Beal, something like that. Or, you know, that, that'd be interesting to me. Stuff like that. Or in New Orleans even, you know, what would he look like backing up Zion Williamson? Something like that. Yeah. There's a lot of good fits for him. What else stood out to you, Kyle, and the uh, draft guide so far? Uh, Noah Clowney. You're high on Noah Clowney. I thought that was interesting. You have Noah Clowney at 17 on this list. Um I'll just give you the opportunity to just talk about that. What, 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 why'd you fall in love with Noah Clowney and move him up to 17? So Noah Clowney, a teammate of Brandon Miller at Alabama, plays you know big man role for them. Early in the season with Clowney, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a guy to monitor for you know, after his second year. But his development as a shooter, maybe it's too small of a sample size, but he started the year 2 of 16. He's close to 40% ever since then. You know, he's a good, solid touch around the rim. Like, offensively, easy to find him a role. Defensively, though, that's why. You know, the, the mobility for him with a 7-2 wingspan, the energy 
the enthusiasm on defense, the communication, the toughness. Like he makes second, third, fourth efforts on plays. He's aware. He's like the type of defender that a team needs in the NBA nowadays. Someone who is strong enough to defend some bigs, low post stuff, right? Rebounding, boxing out, and also has the quickness and versatility to switch on the perimeter. I think with Noah Clowney, he has all of the qualities NBA teams look for with a big man who's going to be getting playoff minutes. So that's why with Clowney, I have a high level of confidence in having him, you know, borderline lottery at the moment. And, you know, plus he's only 18 years old right now. He'll be he'll be 19 as a rookie. He's young. It's not like we're drafting a 22, 23-year-old right now doing all the stuff that's advanced on the defensive end. He's still super young and should only improve further. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about. It's a similar kind of context-driven question, I think. You know, Alabama's a team that, as we know, has, they're an offensive force. I mean, they're a great offensive team. They're really fun to watch, really spread you out, really dynamic, multiple handlers, um, which makes his life a little bit easier, similar to like the way that Jarris is playing with great guards at Houston. Um, do you think, what do you, what kind of impact do you think that has on somebody like Kalel Ware, first of all, uh, kind of projects as a similar kind of a defender size wise, or even uh, like these are teams that offensively don't click the same way that Alabama does. You think about Oregon and then you think about another guy like um, Derek Lively, like we've talked about a little bit here and there, who's had a weird season. I'm always interested in these like assets that are in odd situations that get undervalued. And, I, and do you think that those guys qualify for that label, like as opposed to a clowny? Like if we saw if we saw Kalel Ware or we saw Der- Derek Lively, if we saw them on Alabama, do you think that, that would affect how you value those guys? What what made you push them lower? I mean, I, I have I have Ware ranked like right next to Clowney. It's it's not super far off. Yeah, you um, do. So so I think with Ware, it's it's a lot different. With Lively, he just has not been good. With Duke, mm-hmm. just hasn't been good straight up. You know, where, I mean, he's been a lot better than him so far this season. You know, early in the year, wasn't getting a lot of minutes, a lot of bigs in that rotation for Oregon. So you're right, Kyle, like context matters there. If you change places, if you put where in Alabama and you put, you know, and you put, um, you know, Lively on Oregon or maybe you put, you know, Clowney on Duke, you know, switch their places. We might feel totally different about all of them. But we can only assess them in the circumstances that they are. And like with this with the opportunities provided in a vacuum, Clowney has been excellent as a switch defender. He's super versatile. He's been great in his role. Ware doesn't have as good of awareness on defense, I don't think, right now. The effort was more inconsistent with him at the high school level. And I just think Clowney has more like solid qualities. Sometimes where like his decision making with the ball, you know, he brings the ball down around the rim to like, kind of load up, you know, before finishing sometimes like this is, you know, I'm nitpicking here. But, yeah. you know, that's why I give Clowney a, a very slight edge right now with where and he's just not as good of a finisher around the basket. He is not a knockdown guy from three. He is not as good defensively as Clowney. And maybe the circumstances play into that. But, you know, we can only assess them in the situation they're in. Yeah, it's kind of you have to kind of think about like what you hear the uh, the expression controlling controllables, like what what really is controllable within their control and like how do we weigh that? Um, because certain guys have they they aren't like self-creators and they need to have somebody create for them. Like you're talking about defensive effort. I think that is an area where you can read into it. Um and you're right. Like I, I, those guys have had those uh, those struggles, and I don't I don't think that that's off at all. I just I always think that's interesting. Uh, another one that I was going to ask you about um, 
What do you think about Grady Dick versus Taylor Hendricks? On your list, you have... Are they Taylor even comparable, Hend- those two? Well, They're I mean... totally different guys. Grady Dick is a 6'8 wing, you know, defensively not going to be used the same. I'm, I, I guess really I'm curious about Grady Dick. You have him all the way. I mean, I think you... I, it, I'm going to just... It's the kind of thing where it's like if somebody... If the draft order goes differently than your big board, you're like, well, they get a C C minus. I'm going to repeat myself here. I think Nick Smith's had a weird sample, and I think he's better. I think that he's a little low. Uh, I would have him higher, me personally. Uh, Grady Dick, though, are you are you softer on him? Are you softer on Dick? Are you uh, are you softer <laughs> on Grady Dick? Um, <laughs> sorry, I was just cu- coming out of the out of my mouth there. Um, where where are you? <laughs> where are you? What are your feelings on Grady Dick? You have him at nineteen. I know. Gen- I feel like consensus is a little higher on him. No, I love I love him. He's he's a great great talent. He's a sharpshooter. He's he's a good athlete, good finisher, he, and he's gotten better defensively over the course of the season. I li- I like Grady a lot. Very good player, and I think I'll probably move him up over the course of time. Um, but it's tough. Like some of the guys that I have ahead of him, it's like. Do I want to move him ahead of Jed Howard? Do I want to move him ahead of Anthony Black? Maxwell Lewis? Maybe. Maybe I will end up doing that. Um, well, maybe I will end up moving him ahead of Taylor Hendricks. Uh, but right now, I just I think with a guy like Hendricks, since you did bring him up, the level of versatility on defense is just so valuable in the NBA right now. Not to mention he can hit shots off the bounce a little bit, hit spot-up threes for you. He can be used as a roller. He's a good finisher on the basket. He played like a big in high school. And he can still do a lot of that stuff. I just think the level of versatility is immense with him. And with mm-hmm. Grady Dick, there's a lot to like, man. Like he is such a good talent. He's more than just a shooter. It's similar to what we talked about with Brandon Miller. You know, like he's not just a spot up guy. He can come off of screens a bit. He can shoot movement. He can make the right pass. He can attack a closeout, finish loudly at the rim. Like Grady Dick's a really good player. I think defensively, though, you know, that's where I kind of knock him down a peg. A little bit right now because we've seen some flashes. He said he had a great block the other night, two great blocks the other night. So it's nice to see improvement there. Um, but he is going to get targeted. Yeah, he's been. I mean, I know he's been like roasted for his <laughs> his defensive effort at different times uh, this season. Um, another one I wanted to ask you before we move on or just uh, or whatever here, uh, Jaime Jaquez. I know you you had him pretty high. I know we both like him a lot. Do you think he genuinely is is worthy of a first round pick right now? What's the case? I think that's possible. I mean, I have him as a late first-round draft pick right now. We talked about him, what, I think a little bit before the new year. You know, you were raving about him as a player with his footwork and playmaking and passing and creation. Really good defensively, too, man. Like I, I, I just have a hard time talking myself out of him as a late first-round draft pick. He just feels like the type of guy, like you look at the teams drafting in the late first round right now. I mean, you could plug him into a Memphis squad. You yeah. can plug him in onto like an in Indiana. They have, you know, three picks between 18 and 30 at the moment. You could put him on a younger team up and coming like a Utah. He's the someone that could play next to Jalen Green in Houston, Brooklyn. Like, why not have another guy you can create who can play off of Kyrie and Kevin Durant? I just think you look at these teams and I'm like, why would I not want Jame Jaquez? Why would I not? Like I, that, that seems like a guy I'd have pretty high on my board at that point. So, you know, I think about what team, like when I do my board, I think of so much about what does the NBA need? Like what's valued in the league right now? And I think there's so many creators, you know, guard, you know, smaller guards, 
are becoming less frequent. You know, it's more six, 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 seven mm-hmm. guys who are creating shots for offenses. So I think ultimately, man, like having a Hawkes in your rotation, if you can get him late, not going to necessarily be a primary guy for you like he is this year for UCLA. But that dude could ball, man. Like, why, <laughs> why, what's the argument against him as a first round pick? I think the shooting consistency is the only thing I can think of, but I wouldn't put it past him to be fair, like a passable shooter. Uh, like I, he's, he's definitely like, I, I don't disagree with you on like the superlatives about him, like at all. Like he's functioned in every single role at UCLA and done all the jobs pretty well. I, he's like, he's, he's definitely like a dirt under the fingernails type player that like he would, he would embrace a role. He, he, oh, you yeah. mentioned Memphis, like Conchar. He's kind of like that. Like yes. you tell him, if you put him on, I always make this comparison. If you if he were in like the the service or something, and you were like, okay, Jaime, your job is to make sure that this this area of the the ship is clean. It would be the cleanest. Like he's just somebody that like really understands the game and and would do small jobs really well because I think he has a headiness about him um, that he would fit into a good team. I I, I could see that happening. One note on his shooting. This is a, a couple notes in my draft guide profile of him. So he's made. of his catch-and-shoot threes in four years at UCLA, according to Synergy. Not good. Um, However, pulling up for mid-range, 40.6% on dribble jumper twos, 36.5% on dribble jumper threes, 74.5% from the free throw line, good touch on the floaters, layups around the basket. There's positive indicators for him to become a a good catch-and-shoot guy where he can play off of stars, primaries and still be productive in addition to doing all the other stuff that you're talking about him being asked to do in the NBA early in his career. So there's some positive numbers for him aside from the catch and shoots. That's all. The movement, the dribble pull up thing is interesting. Like that, that to me indicates that like, that means like guys, cause guys load up and get their, get into their motion. Not every guy shoots well, just flat footed. And it's interesting to me that like maybe his, Maybe his motion, he needs to like work on how he gets into his his energy transfer. Like uh, I don't know, I know Jalen Green had a weird thing about that when he was like in high school. He he would when he did this little hop, he shot the ball a lot better. Whereas if he just caught the ball and shot it, um, I don't know. There's a lot of like stuff involved in like footwork and how you go into the the power transfer of your shot. That's that's interesting. I, I think there's there are things that are workable there without getting too in the weeds with boring stuff. The last thing I would ask you about is. Chris Murray is just lurking there for me where I'm just like, he's he's lefty. His brother's a righty. If you look at their production, it's almost <laughs> Which is really like, cool, by the way. It's, it's yeah, so cool. I know it one's is. a righty, one's a lefty. How does that happen? <laughs> Do you think Chris is better at math and, and his brother is more artsy? I'd be curious to just ask those two guys. Um, do you think that we're underrating him just consensus? You have you have him at late twenties. Uh, right yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, is he going to come in? I know I say this word a lot, but is he going to interface with the team quickly the same way that Keegan did? Do you th- do you see that happening? Are we going to just be like, what were we thinking? Like that was just in I don't plain see sight. Why not. I mean, like he, he could he become a lottery guy? Would you go that far? Like could he rise like Keegan did? Because right now, we're still working with a small sample of 14 games with him excelling. It really wasn't until around this point that Keegan Murray was like, oh, yeah, that's a lottery guy. Yeah, yeah. Chris Murray, does he become that over the course of time? A little bit different. Keegan did more on the ball, and yet you watch some of Chris's recent games for Iowa, and, I mean, he's doing more and more on the ball. He's had, you know, 30 points against Indiana, 
27 against Michigan. Huge game for him. 19 against Maryland, doing more and more on the ball as the years progressed. Whereas earlier in the year was a lot of, you know, cutting, off the catch, movement, more off ball than Keegan. Yeah, he's at 37% from three on 92 attempts. Yeah, the Torvik box plus minus is at 9.6. Not as quite as high as his brother, but he's he's doing a lot of things efficiently in, in a similar fashion. Yeah, I don't know that I'm... I don't know if he's quite the same at... Like, uh, Keegan has a little more pop, I feel like, athletically. Yeah, a little bit. It's close, though. Yeah, but they're the same size. It's just... It's it's a curious thing that maybe it's this system producing these, like, identical results, but that's that's one that I'm going to be uh, keeping an eye on. And another guy that I'm maybe a little higher on than you are, I think, is Jalen Wilson from Kansas. I could see him... You talk about size and shooting with, like, upside. I, I, I think he's somebody that could end up becoming like a rotation level player in the NBA. I have him at 24, um, which might be higher than some people, but I value the things that you were talking about. 38 points last night in their loss against Kansas State. Yeah, Kansas State, st- sick uniforms, by the way. I just want to say that with oh, that, yeah. that lavender. Uh, but uh, Yeah, I didn't even see that until after I'd ranked him there, so I didn't want anybody to think that I was prisoner of the moment there. I am I like Jalen Smith. Uh, you know, it's he's been sort of a slow simmer at Kansas. He's He's worked his way into becoming a good player, but I, I like the size and I like the fluidity for him as a scorer. You know. I like him a lot. Kyle, I look forward to the draft guide going up. I look forward to next Wednesday with another NBA draft show with you, man. What do you have planned the rest of this week? Uh, I'm just working on videos, man, and uh, trying to trying to stay on top of that and get things moving. Got some interviews for some longer-range project oh, things. Ooh. Those will come. Um, okay. So we're video, still working. video projects or a little writing? Well, what's going on? I have one video project I've been working on for like a year now, so I'm I'm just trying to chip Whoa. away at that. That's Whoa. gonna come, that's gonna come. Yeah, it's uh, it's ambitious. Maybe we'll see. Is this like we'll an see hour? Long? Off t- what's, what's the runtime? Definitely an hour's worth of material. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it was like I'm comparing it to that street thing I did, which was like 50 minutes, and I I think I have about that much material or more, so it could be that long. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's what I'm working on. And uh, how about you? Just pl- plugging away at the draft guide, you know, uh, and get some writing stuff coming up. I haven't written anything for the site in a little bit because I've been so draft guide focused and pod focused, but we'll be doing some more writing coming up soon, especially with the trade deadline approaching. So that's that's what I got going on. Oh yeah, baby, yeah. So make sure that you're nice to Kev in your in your discourse. Oh, you his, don't you don't have to be nice to me. I, re- <laughs> I really don't care. All right, be mean. You heard it. Uh, <laughs> he said that's what he wants. He's a glutton for punishment. Kevin O'Connor. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Hope you have a great rest of your week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. 
See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.